0: On to the science fiction. Story number one. The one that got away. Written by Semi-Loki. The walls were yellow. Not a pleasant or uniform yellow. It almost looked like a nicotine stain if tobacco was still legal. It was a dingy yellow. A yellow that was earned through years of abuse. Neglect and unpaid cleaning staff. Strange that the ODI would choose to put its headquarters here," he mused. "Musgrave," a synthesized voice chirped from the intercom. "Darrell Hightower, Musgrave, please report to room one four two one B." He stood up and glanced at the sign posted next to the hallway. One four two one should be on the left, according to the sign. For a moment, he debated turning around and bolting for the door. He went left instead. The hallway was long and featured what appeared to be an endless series of identical-looking doors, wooden doors with brass plates screwed at eye level with an identifying number. He followed the rows downwards, 1,633, 1,631, 1,599. It would be a while before he got there. Musgrave, the voice repeated Daryl, Hightower, Musgrave, please report to room 1421-B He picked up his pace. no sense in leaving the auditor waiting Delaying would not help his case He was practically jogging when he saw the door to 1421 come into view Without hesitating, he pushed the door inwards No automatics here The door was strictly old school tech he found himself in an anteroom with two doors branching off at angles. One was simply labelled A, the other one B. He knocked on the door marked B. Yes, an impatient voice said from the other side, come in Mr. Musgrave. He entered. The voice he found belonged to a woman who appeared to be in her mid-fifties and, had a guess, at least a head and a half shorter than Daryl's own 179 centimeters. Despite her diminutive stature, the woman managed to project an aura of harsh determination that was nearly palpable. Darrell found himself wanting to hold his breath for fear of insulting her by accidentally consuming an oxygen monocle that she might have already silently claimed. It wasn't just her height. In every way, the woman was almost completely his opposite. Dark skin where he was fair, grey curly hair where his was straight and brown. Drowning where he was trying to fix her with a goofy, innocent grin. It didn't work. Sit down, she said, and pointed at the chair at the opposite side of her desk. He slid down, and she followed his movement with her own side of the desk. As she found her seat, she steepled her hands in front of her and locked eyes with Darrell. Should have run after all, he realized. At least then he'd have a chance of being shot in the back, rather than being forced to see it coming the whole way. You seem to be laboring under a false impression of the purpose of this office, the auditor said at last. Or at least, that it is only reasonable explanation for your most recent activities. Um, Darrell stammered. I think I should explain myself. She cut him off. Tell me, Mr. Musgrave, she said, what do you presume the Office of Deception Integration to be, hmm? He grimaced. She just stared at him coolly. He sighed in resignation. To present a unified story to the galactic census on the scope and ability of the human species. He recited. Her eyebrows shot upwards. Line three from the mission statement, she said. I am impressed. So you are familiar with our charter. Yes, he admitted. He was a star pilot. Of course he was familiar. Part of his daily routine aboard the ship was to memorize the latest ODI briefings before interacting with either passengers or crew. FDL communications were still rudimentary and, at least in theory, while the ship was in null space, the ship's hypercon should be the only way the bows aboard ship could be able to reach updated news from the outside world. As long as he controlled the sole communication turret, he was, in theory, always one step ahead of those aboard the ship. Still, it didn't pay to take chances. The tech outlets always swore that the portable comm was theoretically possible. It would be just their luck for someone to sneak a prototype communicator aboard a human crewed ship. Timely briefings save lives, also said the old star pilot mantra. Then you are aware of the inherent and unique challenges this office spaces, she went on. It wasn't a question, but he decided to treat it like one anyway. Yes, he agreed. She nodded and tapped a recess button on a desk. A one-way hologram flashed into being between them, permitting her to read the display while giving him an unobstructed view of her face. To the best of our knowledge, she added, humans are the only species capable of deceit in the entire known universe. We are the only ones who invent stories, the only ones who lie. You are aware of this. He ground his teeth together in frustration. Still, he managed to keep it from his voice and said, Yes. The author appeared to detect the frustration anyway, and she banished her display and met his gaze once more. As a species, we are outnumbered 60 million to one, she said. Every other species out there has the advantage of us. They outnumber us. They are more technologically advanced, and many are stronger, smarter, or more durable than us. The only thing that is keeping our precious little species from being annihilated is our heretofore unrecognized and, uh, more importantly, unchallenged ability for guile. Do you understand? Yes, but... So, she pressed on, when our office is presented with some new lie a human has made in a public forum, we, and by we, I do not mean just this office and the entire United Earth and, indeed, the human race, are forced to do what we can to add a bit of credence to this bit of blathered to spread the lies amongst the various humans away from the homeworld, so that we are in agreement about our abilities and, uh, more to the point, we never contradict each other. Do you recognize the difficulty in achieving such a goal? Yes, but if you do recognize it, she interjected yet again as she once more summoned her display, then why would you declare, and I do believe I'm directly quoting you when I say this, that you have been flying in close proximity to the galactic core and will release all this absorbed radiation as a singular nuclear blast. Darryl grinned sheepishly. I thought, he confessed at last, that that bit about the Galactic Core run might explain why, you know, we've never mentioned that we can go nuclear before. Mr. Musgrave, the auditor said as she leaned back in her chair, strange as it may sound, that is not the detail that I find most troubling. Perhaps you might, instead, enlighten me as to why you elected to proclaim such outlandish blauderdash. Darrell winced. You have to understand the context, he stammered. "'I'm listening,' she said. "'Sam and I run two-man operation,' he explained. "'Sam is the, uh, you know, the security officer.' "'Sam Talbot,' she agreed. "'I have his profile and statements on file. "'Please do not waste my time with unnecessary details.' "'Darrel's throat felt dry. "'He swallowed once. "'Nothing seemed to happen. "'He tried again. "'With a cough, he seemed to finally unlock his voice once more. "'Right,' he said.' Well, anyway, he's part of my business model because, well, someone once boasted that a ship with a human security crew could never be taken over by pirates. It was the auditor's turn to wince. Yes, she agreed, a boast made in the presence of an alcohol during our early first contact days. Pray, continue. Well, he continued after licking his lips. We mostly do cargo runs, occasionally do passengers. Not often. "'My ship's a J-Haw-class frigate. "'Not a lot of luxury accommodations. "'But this job comes by a passenger run from the Krulak system. "'They wanted our ship because we were humans.' "'For the safety guarantee,' the auditor asked. "'That,' he said, "'and the fact that we would offer a partition between our crew and the passenger areas.' "'The auditor looked confused. "'I'm sorry,' so he said. "'I understand the need for atmospheric quarantine, "'but the Kruxilians breathe comparable atmosphere.' Why did they want a petition? Because, Daryl explained slowly, it wasn't just a Cruxilean. It was an oligarch's own daughter, Maya Lee. Oh, the auditor said simply. She kept her face neutral, but Daryl thought he saw a hint of color drain away. Feeling encouraged, he pressed onwards. Standard protocol is to offer female passengers isolated quarters any way due to the uh, rumor about human lovers. He left out the part about the boast which claimed that humans were such excellent lovers that they now limited themselves to their own kind out of guilt, as in their earlier, wilder days, they inadvertently led to the extinction of four other races, as the women of said species refused at having anything to do with their own males. Her second grimace confirmed that it was better off left unsaid. Again, she said, inebriation was a factor, This is why the United Earth limits the consumption of alcohol in mixed settings. I get that, Daryl said, but the point is that since we had the arrangements to keep the oligarchs air unseen as required by their custom, they actually were seeking a human transport and were willing to pay handsomely to secure it. While I approve of your business acumen, that does not explain your boasting, the auditor warned. I'm getting to that, he promised. We plotted a six standard jump Null Space Strip to Krullix, and we were surfaced at a point four, that's when we found the ambush waiting. Ambush? Pirates, he said, but not just pirates, Bangadoon warships were scattered amongst them as well. There were at least forty ships in close proximity. So close, in fact, that the Null Drive sensors wouldn't let me jump, even if I didn't have to do a full cooldown cycle." The Bongadoons had convinced the pirates to aid them in their political beef with the Chronics. They hoped to overwhelm us with numbers. They weren't interested in boarding, so I couldn't threaten to breathe fire. They couldn't threaten to jinx their offspring as the Bongadoons reproduce by self-cannibalizing while budding. They consider their offspring to be themselves reborn. I couldn't even threaten to do the unexplained Cafu Diabongo. Attack! Because even though we never explained what it was Too many humans have made a big show of eyeing people Before threatening and many consider it requiring line of sight As I encircled, I couldn't look everyone at once The air was about to die and the Bongadoons were willing to perish to accomplish it So I improvised By threatening to vomit forth nuclear fire, she prompted not exactly, Daryl complained. I mean, yeah, I made choking noises like I was going to vomit it up, but that was just for dramatic tension. I told them that I could project it outwards and fry all of them without damaging my own ship. They were willing to die and send a message, but not just to die. I told them that it would be equivalent to a hundred megaton blast. They backed up to the outskirts of that range. My proximity alarms died and I vented at over the cooling rods. That got the temp down subcritical and I was able to mini-jump away from them. I did a blind jump so not even we knew exactly where we were jumping. I had to do a full breakdown and repair of the drive, but I got the air to a planet without additional incident and only three days late. Darrell sat back and crossed his arms over his chest defiantly. He hoped that projected more confidence than he actually felt. So... The auditor concluded You felt expressing a new outlandish lie Was the best way to preserve existing outlandish lies Darryl considered that Not the way I would have phrased it, he said But yeah, something like that The auditor sighed in a surprisingly casual manner Leaning forward and rubbing her hands over her eyes Such a headache, she murmured Why do you people insist on putting us through such situations? I'm sorry, Darrell said our auditor sat up and frowned. You're in violation of the UE Charter Provision 119 Section R with a Class 2 boasting, she said. However, I am in agreement that there were some mitigating circumstances present and your course of action, while regrettable, may not have been entirely unjustified. Darryl felt a flutter of hope. Furthermore, she said, it does coincide neatly with our reluctance to travel near the core. We did not want to admit that the intense radiation was lethal to our species, and your line presents a useful alternative for us to use. I can spin this, Mr. Musgrave. So, Darrell asked as he sat up straight, "'Am I off the hook?' ''I did not say that,'' she corrected him. ''We still have much work to do. We have a doctor flight records to show the core run of your ship that never existed. We also have to smuggle several nuclear devices out to be detonated in a place where the effects can be measured but not directly observed so that we can prove you released your nuclear buildup at a later point.'' Furthermore, although we do not want to escalate the war between the Bungadoons and the Kruloks, we do not want to appear to be partial to either faction. We must tread carefully, diplomatically, because of your actions. All in all, this is a problem you have landed upon my desk, and it is still debatable whether the benefits outweigh the costs. Do you understand this? He led his arms forward to the side and looked away from her gaze. Yes, he said. And I'm sorry Very well, she breathed I will charge you with a class 4 violation instead Grounds for a 90 day suspension of your pilot's license 90 days, he protested I can't take that sort of hit She raised an eyebrow Did you not just make the claim that you lost your Paid handsomely, she asked He threw his hands up in surrender Fine, he said So I'm grounded for three months Anything else? Yes, she said. There is a matter of the community service, ten hours of it, in fact. Doing what? he asked suspiciously. Picking up litter along the Jovian helix. No, the auditor said with a shake of her head. Tell me, are you familiar with the Hastian Coral group? Errol's eyes widened. "'No,' he protested. "'They are quite popular right now in certain circles,' she said. "'If you agree to do the March 5th and the 6th shows, that should cover your requirements.' "'No.' "'Are you certain?' she asked, voice deedy. "'I could always charge you with a violation to Class 3.' "'His license would be permanently suspended if she did that.' He took in a deep breath and let it out slowly. "'Fine.' He said But just for the record Those recorders hurt once you shove them up your arse This better make us square It does, she agreed Face finally breaking into a tight-lipped smile Darrell felt the meeting was at an end and started to stand up He froze Out of curiosity, he asked, halfway out of his chair Was the boast that we could fart in perfect harmony to the tune of Hestian Global Anthem due to... uh, "'Lots of alcohol and poor inhibitions,' she agreed. "'I figured as much,' he said, as finished standing. "'Good day to you, Auditor, and to you, Mr. Musgrave.' Then, without another word, she stabbed another button at a desk. "'Send in the next one,' she ordered, the desk. Darrell exited the office and began the long march back up the hallway. "'Donald Xavier Besta to room 1412-B.' A synthesized voice chanted as he walked as he walked down the hallway he found himself crossing paths with an unhappy looking man carrying what appeared to be a cheap halloween costume of a mermaid it was "just a couple beers" donald muttered as he shoved his way past darrell darrell decided maybe it was a good time to be grounded after all and resumed his march down the hallway He hummed as the Hastian Global Anthem under his breath as he walked, just to make sure that he still remembered the tune. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with, but the easiest way would be to share this video, and if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.